All right, we're set to go. I'm Jacob Hornberger, president of the Future of Freedom Foundation. I want to welcome you all to this evening's broadcast for as part of our conference, Restoring Civil Liberties. If you haven't seen the earlier broadcast, I highly recommend it. This has turned out to be one of the best conferences we've ever held at FFF. And what's fascinating is that each of the speakers were given carte blanche to talk about any aspect of civil liberties they wanted, and there's been virtually no overlap. And those videos are on the website of the Future of Freedom Foundation. As most of you know, our mission at FF has long been to present the principal case for liberty. We uh, have an active website, 32 years of articles and conferences and videos and other presentations presenting this principal case for the libertarian philosophy. Uh, tonight, if you have a question for the, our guest, uh, please use the Q&A button. You type it out. It'll come to me. I'll ask Ron what the questions are later on. Now, we're going to wrap everything up by around 10 till 7. That's when Ron's last question or last comment is going to be made, and then I'll say a, a bit of do to the crowd. We got one more presentation in this series, and that's me next Tuesday night, same time, same station. Uh, we're really honored and pleased tonight to have Ron Paul. Ron's actually one of my real life heroes in this libertarian movement. Uh, I, I think if there's anybody in the libertarian movement that doesn't need an introduction, it's Ron Paul, but he served in Congress for many years, as y'all know, and he was the presidential candidate in 2008, 2012, both very exciting races. Um, I don't think there's anyone in the libertarian movement who has exposed or inspired more people to explore libertarianism or to join the libertarian movement than Ron Paul. And if you're not familiar, which I'm sure you are, but if you're not with the work of the Ron Paul Institute, Dan McAdams and Ron Paul are just doing unbelievably fantastic work uh, to bring us a society based on peace, prosperity, and liberty. Ron, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your perspectives with us tonight. It's a great honor for us. Please take it away. Very good. And thank you very much for the introduction and the invitation. Uh, this is just great, but I don't know. You've bitten off a big job here, and the job is restoring civil liberties. I'll tell you, we need a lot of that. And uh, you've been in that battle for a long time and having an impact. But this is going to uh, continue for a bit because I see, uh, you know, establishing the principles of civil liberties. Uh, that's been ongoing for a long time. I think as long as we can find recorded history that we find that that is talked about. Uh, you, you know, uh, it, it, even before biblical times, before, before the Old Testament, they did uh, they did talk about this. Hammurabi had a code, and there was a hint that they understood a little bit about civil liberties. I was fascinated by understanding a little bit more about Hammurabi is because uh, he had, I think it was 282 laws he passed, and more than half of them had to do with contracts. You say, well, is that a civil liberty? Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, living up to your promises uh, and, and identify it and uh, letting people understand it is certainly important. That's a long time ago, and that was 300 years before the, before the Ten Commandments were written. So uh, I think that uh, people have thought about it, and it comes and goes, and certainly my lifetime was uh, the majority of that life was spent in the 20th century. 
that was not a good a good century for protecting freedoms and individual liberty and peace because uh, you know i was born in 35 the uh the depression was roaring uh, i do remember the beginning of uh, the uh, world war ii and the end of world war ii and the korean war and on and on and uh the one thing i do remember i've heard Later on in life, when we were studying economics, they would say, "You know, um, the, the war got us out of the uh, the war got us out of the depression," which I later on found out that's just not true. You don't kill millions of people, and uh, yeah, but the unemployment rate went down. Yeah, they were all overseas getting killed. So this whole thing about uh, you know the conditions that we had, whether it's the depression or the wars, it's always a challenge. But it didn't just end with World War II. It's sort of thought to be ended and but then we entered the cold war and we had to be very cautious about that we had korean war wage and price control so there was always abuse of liberty then we had vietnam the 60s was a terrible decade and it more or less has continued because when you think of this century so far we're not doing a whole lot better uh except when i look at what's happening uh, you know behind the scenes and Barbara, I think the work you do is behind the scenes in the sense that you reach a lot of people and getting people to join the remnant. I love the story about the remnant. No matter what you do, there's going to be a remnant in society protecting the principles of liberty. And uh, that's what we need to do. We need to build that. And Leonard Reed often spoke about this idea. And he, of course, had the Foundation for Economics Education. And he says, our job is to present the case for liberty and freedom and make it available, understand it ourselves and be available to people to see what happened. And I took that to heart. So I did my very best, you know, to uh, understand the message. And I tell people, you know, what I did was uh, probably during the 60s when I was in college and medical school, uh, I started reading Austrian economics and uh, freedom uh, literature. And I said, it took me a long time to unlearn the things that my government and my government schools have been teaching me. And that is sort of silly, but that really is the case. And it's going on now. Just think of what's going on in our school, our government school system. You know, the people are rebelling because they don't think they're, uh, they're, the children are learning the right thing. And they're rebelling against their complacency with what was happening. So I don't think the uh, system of schools that we've had had uh, have uh, been you know protecting our freedoms or even understanding our liberties and they they have done that and now there's a lot of chaos and a lot of challenge and now we're talking about how do you define how do you define say science if you don't define if you don't accept my definition of science I'm gonna I'm gonna cancel you and put you in jail well, I don't think it takes a, a brilliant person to realize that's a challenge of basic liberty, you know, and it's happening all the time. It's an attitude that is, has gotten out of hand. But fortunately, I think I see some signs of it breaking up. People are sick and tired of being told another mandate, another mandate. It seems like the people who like mandates and it doesn't just start with the uh, president. It doesn't 
some of it comes from the United Nations and all the international organization, but it, it's, it comes from everybody now who has authority to the temptation to run roughshod over the people and violate their civil liberties. That's a problem we have. And of course, that's what uh, we have to confront. You know, I thought, well, we're going to be talking about civil liberties. So I thought, I wonder, I wonder what Wikipedia says civil liberties are. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to read this half a sentence because it gives you an idea maybe where the problem is. It says the civil liberties is the state of being subject only to laws established for the good of the community. Well, for good libertarians, they know exactly that that is uh, not the kind of thing we talk about because uh, as far as I'm concerned, liberty is individual. And I get very annoyed when they talk about groups of people that you have minority rights and, and children's rights and women's rights and, and all these things because I want people to say rights are individual. And, and that, that makes a big difference, but everything is collective. I'm annoyed on election night uh, and they do it incessantly. I don't think it's, uh, you know, done intentionally to, uh, you know, uh, as a sinister move, but when, when the votes are counted, they say, well, the blacks voted this way, the white people voted this way, you know, the Hispanics voted this way. Well, why can't we get to the point where we talk about individuals, but it's very natural and there's some practical reasons for that. And I understand that, but I just don't like that. that everybody's divided up uh, in, in, into groups. And uh, of course the elimination and the harm done was the violation of groups, certainly in the bad part of our history with uh, slavery and, and uh, the laws against uh, minorities. Yeah, that was done by groups, but uh, the reversal is that is what we want if we want uh, to have uh, you know, the protection of civil liberties. And the one thing that's going on right now is this uh, cultural Marxism. And Marxism, I believe is what we're experiencing. It may be different, uh, than uh, what, what Marx uh, was talking about. But there's a lot of similarities of what, uh, what's going on because the word communism really uh, came about with, with Marxism. And, uh, but I, I think there's still a lot. Now I have a quote here. I don't usually use quotes, but I think this is so fascinating to me uh, about uh, what Dostoevsky said, uh, you know, at the time the uh, Dos Capital uh, was written back in the 18, in the 17, 16, 1860s. And 1871 is when it was actually released. And uh, he, he had a novel called Possessed. And uh, he was a great civil libertarian, I'll tell you. But he was a he was a very anti-communist, which was logical because Marxism is a, a vicious attack on individual liberty. But you know, uh, Dostoevsky, when he wrote *The Possessed*, it was uh, like three ye three years after uh, Karl Marx uh, released *Das Capital*. So it, he was right. He was born and raised and, and intellectually was involved in the birth of uh, of Marxism, and in his novel. I find interesting because he has a character in, in the novel uh, named Shigalov. And Shigalov was uh, the spokesman uh, for Dostoevsky. And the quote I'm reading from comes from, from, uh, from Shigalov, who is, who is explaining uh, uh, Dostoevsky's position on why we should be concerned about the collectivism of Marxism. So, um, so he says, uh, 
Shigalo has discovered equality. He suggests a system of spying. And you know, as I read this, think about it. Could any of this be true today? Is it still alive and well? Is this, well, is, are they describing the problems we have and we have to deal with them? I, I just believe we have to understand the issue if we're to confront it, you know, intellectually. And on, I'm gonna read a little bit on, on, before they're on there. Every member of the society spies on the other. That's the, uh, that's the, the, the wonderful society that Marx is creating. And it is his duty to inform against them. We have a lot of that going on these days. Everyone belongs to all and all to everyone. All are slaves and equal in their slavery. In extreme cases, Shikolov advocates slander and murder. Maybe our government's been involved in a little bit of that now and then. And But it, the great things about it is equality. And uh, my whole point is going to be in this little message I have is that this seeking equality is only done with the destruction of liberty. Further quoting, to begin with, the level of education and science is only possible for great intellects and they are not wanted. They will be banished or put to death. Cicero, C Cicero has his tongue cut out Copernicus will have his eyes put out. Shakespeare will be stoned. And that's Shigalovism. Slaves are bound to be equal. That's a little strong, but uh, the message there is that the people who are likely to challenge Marxism are in for trouble. Uh, in, the, in the herd, there is bound to be equality, and that's Shigalovism. Uh, now, this further is a quote. I hope it's not too long. Uh, to, le to level the mountains, this is the goal of Marxism according to Dostoevsky. To level the mountains is a fine idea. Down with culture. Wow, that sounds pretty up to date. We have had enough science. Yeah, science is to be thrown out. And uh, the people who promote science currently can lose their jobs. It's, a, it's not good. Without science, we have material enough to go on for a thousand years. We don't need science. That's terrible. That's, that's so anti-freedom. But we must have discipline. The thirst for culture is an aristocratic thirst. We've heard that. We hear it on the house floor these days. The moment you have family ties or love, uh, or love you get the desire for property. Oh, how sinful. And of course, the basis, you can't talk, you can't ignore property if you're interested in civil liberties. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute because I think property is one of the big keys for protecting civil liberty. And on with further with the quote, we will destroy that desire. We'll make use of slander, spying. We'll make use of incredible corruption. We'll stifle every genius in its infancy. Complete equality. Equality is the goal. And uh, that, I think, tells you that if equality is the goal, which is expressed that way all the time, equality and safety is expressed by all those people who want uh, authoritarianism, whether it's the old fascist Marxism or the mo more modern Marxism or communism or fascism or extreme interventionism. It's always helping and distributing the wealth and it's never emphasis, uh, you know, on an individual having a right to his or her life. 
and a right to keep whatever they earn. And uh, no, it's uh, you belong to a group. And uh, that statement that I just read, you, if you happen to be intelligent enough to go to college, we're going to kill you. But, but just think of what happening happening now. I know of episodes going on right now where uh, getting into medical school, I, I fear for the fact that when I got into medical school in 1968, I didn't hear any of this. Somebody might say, well, it's always biased to you white people. But right now, it's 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 uh, biased in a di much different way because uh, I know of individuals who had the best grades and also didn't get into medical school and uh, this this is uh, this is troublesome. That is why the, the answer to this is not easy. You can't get a perfect manager to go out there in, in any of these things I talk about and have a perfect distribution of priorities and wealth and equality. You can't do that. The thing of it is, it has to go into the hands of private, private individuals who then will distribute it in a voluntary manner, how you would if you had a libertarian society, because then the decision is made by two people agreeing to it. And, uh, you know, in 1910, uh, there was a, a report made, an investigation of the medical community called the Flexner Report. And uh, at that time, the, the or this is even back in 1910, this was, this was a time when uh, they said there were uh, medical schools that were for women and minorities. And they were, you know, graduating doctors, but organized medicine, which included, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, believe it or not, they said, too many medical schools and they slashed the number. I don't remember, but it could have been like gotten rid of 70% of the medical schools. You say, well, they weren't teaching good medicine. Well, uh, maybe uh, maybe they would have improved, but closing them down. And then later on, uh, the schools were not balanced right. So then they had to have uh, affirmative action. You know, if, if the market was attempting to solve that problem, there was not a scarcity, the goal should have been to improve things. In a voluntary manner, things do improve. I just think uh, our great universities in this country all started as private universities and our hospital. How many hospitals have the name of a church on them? And that's the way it was at one time. But uh, right now, it's, uh, it, it's not that way. And, uh, and, and we're working, living in a system where there's a confusion of what uh, civil liberties really mean, uh, and uh, and a government's responsibility is for, for safety as well as equality. Now they talk about equality and uh, perfect safety, and it can't be done. If you want perfect safety, they can provide it for you. You know they can lock you up and feed you every day, and you're perfectly safe. Nobody's going to touch you. But uh, I think this whole principle that I'm talking about is well known in the libertarian circles, and that that has to do with a principle of self ownership and uh, the principle of uh, t taking a position where individuals can't initiate force against other people. And you know, I think it's been neat in these last couple of months 
where uh, there's a, a racial argument going on and they're quoting Martin Luther King, where he makes this emphatic point that we don't want to be, you, you know, uh, taken care of by the color of our skin. And yet that's all that seems to be happening. We have reversed it because we've gotten really confused on what civil liberties are all about. And they're so important. Now, of the many liberties that we mention and talk in the Constitution and our Bill of Rights, I think the principle of, of, uh, of property is very, very important. Because if you had, you know, the voluntarism that I'm talking about, where nothing happens unless two people have agreements, and at the same time, the right to ownership would be part of that. And then the people who own the property, you know, can deal with it. And, uh, and, and, and you would say, oh, well, then only a couple of people are gonna own the property. Well, take a look at what we have now. Every, every day we get another trillionaire. Uh, of course, what we really should be concerned about is a very immoral system of monetary policy that's going to not only destroy the middle class here, but it will probably undermine those very, very rich people, but many of them will, will survive too. So it, it's, a, it's a system of government that we have existed to allow the government to do too much and infringe upon our civil liberties. And uh, they're worrying more about the community. We're worried more about the village and when and when Hillary talks and she's speaking that language it it takes a village to raise a child well you know it takes a parent to raise a child would be a better a better answer uh, for for that but this principle of self-ownership and property ownership you say well no that won't take care of how does that take care of a freedom of speech well you could own a uh, newspaper and uh, you uh, uh, you could publish what you want and uh, you would be controlled by uh, uh, fr fraud and libel, and you would be restrained uh, uh, to, uh, you know, not lie. And you say, well, th that's fine, but don't we have newspapers now? Don't we have the internet? We, we don't have freedom in those areas as far as my, can, uh, my opinion is, because I think what we have is government managed uh, a system of communications because I think the big guys on the internet have been created and subsidized and continue to be subsidized because they all work closely with the government. What about this lockdown stuff and punishing people who don't go along with, uh, with, with the mandates? Uh, does the government come in and say, oh, you broke the mandates, we're gonna put you in jail? No, they send the, they get, they, they send the enforcers, which is the businessman who be, have, becomes an ally of the uh, uh, of those who uh, are working with the government, so they enforce it. So they go and say, "You can't do it." How come the businessmen are doing this? Uh, it's not uh, it's not because of good business. They do it because they're beholding to the government. That is what our problem is, because they are they have to do it, uh, or they will be punished. So right now, people are very concerned, uh, as some of us even on the internet. They, I wonder. Daniel and I talk sometimes, we'll say, do you think uh, they're going to hit us for this? We're saying this. And, uh, and how many people have been canceled for this? How many people have lost their jobs? And uh, the mandate principle is a violation of property rights and personal liberties. And it is a big danger as far as I'm concerned. It's very dangerous on what is happening uh, with, with these uh, runaway mandates, because that is a clear violations of people's liberty and it has nothing 
to do with the, the government becomes the violent party here, not the individuals. Uh, so that that is a, a, a different story uh, because they are the ones that suffer the consequences. And unfortunately, most people in this country are good people. They're decent. They're taught to obey the law and follow the government. Sometimes even the religion is thrown in there. That's your job. You have to obedient, be obedient and tell, do exactly what the government tells. But uh, eventually the people have to wake up and that's what's happening now. Because I think the violation of our civil liberties here in the last uh, several uh, months, a uh, couple years now, has gone way too far. And unfortunately, you can uh, look at what we're doing today and they might come closer to that quote I read because it looks like these ideas uh, were born a long time ago and they certainly were put into, in, into a writing form that created the monster of Marxism that killed a lot of people. No, not 10,000, not a million, hundreds of millions of people died of this because of authoritarianism and the lack of respect for civil liberties, lack of understanding what property is all about, lack of confidence that people can take care of better, better care of themselves than any government can ever take care of. So that is, uh, that is something that people need more confidence in. But, you know, as I traveled uh, around, around the country, Bumper, uh, you know, I, uh, people asked me what was the best part of the campaigning. And I, mine was going to the college campuses because they were surprisingly supportive because, uh, you know, some people uh, might reflect uh, uh, and comment on my, what I've just said in the last 30 minutes and uh, say, boy, that's radical stuff and all. Well, it's firm, but it's based on some beliefs. And you'd think in the, in the very liberal universities, they'd be booing and hissing and throwing me out like they're doing these days uh, uh, since this, uh, this wokeism has started. Now, that's a that's a big problem if you want want to deal with it. So if 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 that is if that is the case, I'll tell you what the people on the campuses were wonderful. The young people were wonderful, and uh, I still go out to talk to them because um, I, their minds are open. You know, when people get a little bit older, they get locked in their place. I call them the Chamber of Commerce people. They get locked into it, locked into the relationship they have to have uh, with the local community, with the government, financing that goes on. And before you know it, they're the enforcers of the mandates by the presidents and our governor. They go and say to these people who aren't following the mandate, how many, how many people have masks in, in your studio there? Because we're going to save your life. We're going to make you safe and secure. Okay, uh, you, you don't want to follow the rules. You're, you're out of here. We don't want you anymore. And that, that's like uh, what uh, uh, the, the, the uh, quote I have there, get rid of them. People, we don't want them. And, uh, and because we can't stand to see people telling the truth uh, you know, to the people who are wondering what in the world is going on. And uh, Bumper, I think picking the subject that you have is very good because uh, you know I've wandered around a little bit on this, but I'll tell you what, I think it's it was keyed in on the title of your program, Restoring Civil Liberties, Restoring Liberty. Of course, my uh, organization is Ron Paul, uh, uh, you know, peace for uh, our project is for peace and prosperity, a project for peace and prosperity with no complications. 
you know, the recognition is that an individual uh, has a right to their life and they have the right to keep the fruits of their labor. And uh, that means that uh, uh, people are going to benefit. And, you know, uh, the college kids responded quite well with this. They like the idea of not being told what to do. I said, yes, but you have one rule you have to follow for this to work. And the one rule, of course, is non-aggression. Yes, you can go about your business, run your life, take all your risk, assume responsibility for yourself, assume responsibility for the mistakes you make, assume that you can keep what you earn, but uh, you can't use force. And that's, that's the only real rule you have. And that's been around for a long, long time prior to the 10 commandments. And that is no lying, cheating, stealing, and killing. Just think. If uh, the majority of people, I imagine they would endorse that and say, oh, no, we don't lie and all this stuff. But but they, they really go along with it because our governments, uh, you know, uh, do a, a lot of it. The one book uh, that I thought was very helpful to me and I recommend to a lot of the young people when they're when they're looking for things uh, uh, to uh, read is Bastiat's The Law, because it's they say it's. Uh, it's dealing with a moral principle. And uh, the moral principle is trying to separate government and individuals. And uh, he simply makes the case for saying that if you and I can't steal from our neighbor, and most people, I can't imagine very many Americans uh, saying, oh, no, you, you have to be able to steal from your neighbor, you know. No, people say, you know, we agree we can't steal from our neighbor. But what percentage of the people think it's okay uh, to send your congressman and lobby for him, get him elected to steal from the neighbor to give it to somebody else that doesn't deserve it? And uh, that's a large number of people. That has to be challenged. You just can't uh, send the congressman to redistribute the wealth when you're not allowed to do it yourself. And that's a, that, that is the, the, big, the big problem that we uh, now have turned our government into a system of redistribution of, of wealth. And when you think about redistribution of wealth, that is immoral and that is not civil. It's, it's not a liberty. You don't have the right to do this. And uh, that is, uh, that is the, the, the main thing that we have to, have to remember is that you don't have a right to, a right to do this. And, uh, and yet uh, it happens all the time. It doesn't work. The freer a society is, the more prosperous it is. So freedom is you know, liberty. And uh, the more rights that you have for yourself, the better off you are and the better off everybody is. The bigger the middle class is, the greater the prosperity. Why in the world do we lose this argument? What's the matter with this argument? What's the matter with us? Why can't we convince more people? Well, things are getting a little touchy because they're getting a little shaky. And I consider the economy and our whole society a little, a little shaky. And we could have some sudden things happen that there would be major problems and more violent. And our goals as people who love liberty should be to work hard to spread a message that will prevent that. There's no reason why it has to happen. It's all preventable. The, the, the insanities that have emitted from, you know, this fear mongering over a virus uh, to get people really excited and also how we go to war. How many times did I argue the case on the House floor uh, on a civil liberty issue? Why are we going to the Middle East? We're gonna kill innocent people. 
And also, we're going to kill a lot of innocent Americans, too. And there's going to be blowback if you're not careful. So uh, it's, it's, not, it's not that complicated uh, to figure out what is best. It's just to get people motivated. One, one reason why I think what happens is if you have freedom, if you have a, a relative amount of freedom, you have more prosperity. And then when you have the prosperity, people get complacent. They think about how do I accumulate more stuff? And people are doing that and until they depend on one source that the, that the uh, machinery that makes the markets work uh, artificially is, of course, uh, a counterfeit. You know, it's very easy for people to accept the idea. If you, if you go into uh, a town and, uh, and, and you, you tell them, look, uh, what we have here is I have a counterfeit machine. It's perfect. Nobody can tell the difference from the government money. And I'm going to start passing this off to make you all wealthy. Well, it doesn't work that way because eventually so much money is printed. And guess what? If you print too much of that money, create more money, monetary credit, it's, it's theft because it takes away the value of your good currency. So that is a civil liberties. I think monetary policy should be considered a civil liberty because it's honesty and it's property. And uh, inflation is a horror. And right now it's breathing down our neck. And a lot of people say, oh, this is, this is just gonna pass. It's just, this is temporary. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not temporary. And I'll tell you when it's gonna stop. It's when the people rise up and say, okay, folks, we have lived beyond our means. We're gonna balance our budget and we want you to balance our budget. So cut everybody's uh, a budget. And of course, uh, we've spent a lot of money overseas, billions of dollars maintaining our empire that we're gonna give up our empire. We don't really need an empire. We, we get into a lot of trouble with that. So we're gonna give up our empire. What's the chances of that happening and us moving you know, uh, you know, quickly out of this mess that we're in? The odds are that much. It's not going to happen because it's epidemic. It's epidemic like the mandates are <laughs> epidemic and it's not going to change, but it will change in that it's going to run out of steam. And then there's going to be an intellectual battle, which is already going on. The Marxists are out there. The Marxists never, uh, you know, over the years have been Marxists in college, in, in Congress. There's been Marxists and socialists in the Congress, but they didn't, they didn't have a caucus and get the most, they get the most information. I was wondering, how do, the, how do people who are really falling in the category of Marxists get so much attention by the media and they're so, so well known? So it, it's, it's there, the confrontation is going to be there and it has to be an intellectual confrontation. It has to be ideological. And that's why I cite, uh, you, you know, Dostoevsky, because he, he, uh, he wrote, has written so much on, uh, on philosophy and, uh, and especially, you know, the principle of civil liberties and the evils of Marxism. And that has to be uh, countered. Uh, so it, 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 it involves, uh, you, you, you know, the monetary system, uh, taxes. Uh, uh, when I talk to the college kids and they love it, no taxes, no income tax. When you work, it's yours. It's part of your life. And uh, they, they sort of like this, but guess what? Uh, the dilution of money, the printing of money is a tax. You know, if, if the spending isn't going to quit, 
uh, uh, and we'll continue to do that, and we continue to print money, that'll, that'll bring a climactic end uh, to what's happening. So, but they're not going to do that. They're going to keep playing these games. I'm surprised that, you know, they preached for probably between five and 10 years that the goal of the Federal Reserve was to destroy the value of the dollar by 2% every year because we want prices to go up. When prices go up, there's a healthy economy. So much nonsense uh, based on just lies and innuendos and special interests, but based also on the reflection of the economics that have been taught in our universities. And that is that, uh, matter, in fact, uh, it, you know, deficits don't matter. The total spending doesn't matter. Uh, we're uh, modern, mo modern monetary theory, which is just an exaggeration of what we've been putting up with uh, over, over the many years. And that, that's going to continue. Uh, but the whole system <clears throat> is going to conclude. I would say that uh, if we could get a lot more people interested in the subject that Bumper has, has been talking about for a long time and narrow it down to the liberty of an individual and make it so that everybody has that liberty. And, uh, and, and, and I, I, you know, that's the only way I see us coming out of this. I'm, I'm really surprised how long it's lasted, but the, the relative and uh, partially free economy did produce a lot and they were they were fooled into believing well we got away with uh, inflation and deficits for a long time we've been doing that ever since the depression and it works fine well it hasn't worked fine because uh, if you look at the people who suffer if you look at uh, the inequality probably one you know of the worst things which uh, you would never believe when you listen to all the rhetoric of the racial stuff going on now is that uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the whole idea of the racial thing is that uh, the system that we have today make, makes these things much worse. And, uh, and that's, that is going to lead to not only an economic conflict, but also a racial conflict if we allow the demagogues to get away with what, what, what they're doing. They, they, uh, you know, they, they, they turn it into a racial war. There's more racism going on now. Uh, we need Martin Luther King back. He said, it's only the character of the individual that counts, not the color of a person's skin. People shouldn't be managed by the color of their skin. And yet it's worse now than probably ever before. It doesn't work. And that is gonna be part of the conflict we have because along with this now is the building inequity. And uh, it's going to be both racial and it's also going to be class uh, because productivity is going down. The country is going to get poorer. And uh, I am convinced that a country has to do what, what we as individuals have to do. If we borrowed too much money, lived beyond our means, bought cars we didn't really couldn't afford and we had a house that was too big and uh, finally uh, either you lose your job or your uh, your bills get too big and you can't pay pay the bills and you have to quit so you can declare bankruptcy and probably survive uh, in, a, in a messy way or you can act like some people think is the moral answer well if i've overdone it what my job is is to quit spending live within my means, work harder, get another job and pay off the debt because I can't pay this debt. The country really needs to do that, but they're not going to make a decision that way. It is gonna be much easier for people to come to understand 
what personal liberty and property ownership really means and why voluntary contracts are so good. And then they could end, end up eventually seeing that that type of protection of those rights will lead to the prosperity I think everybody wants. And besides, the in, inequality of the spreading of wealth right now is not a consequence of, uh, of capitalism and freedom and laissez-faire. They'll always tell you that. That's what the socialists will always say. That's why there's inequality. No, and when you look at the corporations being friends with the big government and you know getting their licenses from big government, getting all their contracts from big government and social media dealing with the big government, all these things. So we, we know where the real problems are. And uh, so it's up to, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the people to come around. And that's why we need more Bumpel Hernbergers out there teaching this and reaching more people to find out that it's personal liberty, it's civil liberties of all individuals that have to be emphasized and have to be accepted if we want to get out of this mess. Bumper, thank you for the invitation. I'm finishing up. <laughs> All right, Ron, thank you very much for those excellent, an excellent, excellent presentation and sharing your perspectives with us. We've got about 10 minutes for questions and answers. Um, I don't know how you do it, Ron, but you always, whenever I hear you talk, my heart starts thumping a little bit faster. Uh, so let me, let me go to the first question here. Um, is liberty, I think I know the answer to this one, is liberty more likely to be obtained through lobbying elected officials or through educating the public? If, uh, if, you, if we had liberty, who would, uh, who, would, uh, who, who would be the most annoyed by it? <laughs> Say, state that again, please. Well, is liberty more likely to be obtained through lobbying elected officials or through educating the public? Uh, it, it should be for uh, educating the public, but there could, it could be both. You know, you, you could say that uh, I should have only started and uh, had an organization like my Free Foundation to spread the message and be, uh, you know, more didactic. Uh, or should I work in politics? Lobbying, it depends on what you're lobbying for. <laughs> you know, if you're lobbying for liberty, that's okay. But if you're if you're a typical lobby, lobbying, you know, you can forget about it. You know, and uh, you bring up the subject of lobbying. You know, I, I had to deal with the lobbyists, but uh, they were far off <laughs> because I never had them come to see me <laughs> because because lobbyists go to the people they think they can twi twist their arm. So no, I I think. Uh, Lobbying, um, uh, and it depends. If it's good lobbying, I think you should lobby and, and try to do it. I, I would make uh, a statement with my staff at times, just sort of to making the point. Some of them like to do more uh, details. Let's change this word and do this and try to sneak this in. And I would say, just to get the point, I'm not, I'm not a legislator, <laughs> you know, I don't want to tinker with a bill, but I tinkered with one big bill out of the Fed because I didn't even, uh, well, I worked with uh, the Congress because we did get it passed in the House, but I wanted, I wanted to be, uh, you, know, you know, involved in education and lobbying, but I went to the people outside of Washington, and they're the ones who put pressure on the congressman. So my, my approach was a little bit different, but uh, I, I think uh, there's the, the one thing is 
you want you don't you don't want as bad as lobbying is you don't want uh, laws restricting lobbyists. That to me is petitioning the Congress, and uh, you should be allowed to do that. If they're petitioning for money that they shouldn't have, then the issue should be how do we get people to petition? Say quit have stop that program. It needs to be stopped. Okay. Does the government? I say, does private property rights extend extend beyond physical things to one's actual physical person? That is, does the government or the private sector enforcers? Well, let's just leave it to the government. Does the government have a have the authority to force you to take a drug, or they will take your right to make a living or to move away freely? The move answer is absolutely, absolutely not. And that's where our line should be drawn. They don't have a right to tell you to uh, get a needle stuck in your body. Uh, the big problem is how what the consequences are. These people are in a tremendous pressure. You know, if you don't do it and you don't become one individual that uh, you know they have had all the vaccines, uh, that then then you're going to lose your job. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of alternatives to saying, oh, no, if you didn't do that, you'd have a lot of spread of, uh, uh, of the diseases. But there's so much information to show, you know, just like this week, we had a statement come out that they finally counted the deaths in Italy. And 97% of them that were rec recorded as dying from COVID uh, did not die from COVID. They were admitted to the hospital for strokes, heart attacks, and all cancer. And then they died, they got COVID positive. So they said they died of COVID. There's the statistics are worth zero and, and there's zero attention paid to natural immunity. And people who would like to uh, avoid the, the, the demagoguing, or they want to take the vaccine, it should be voluntary. Two things, both sides have to be voluntary. So this whole thing that government bureaucrat, guys like Fauci, he's never seen a patient. And he's he's done more to, I think he's done more harm to medical care than any one single person could ever do. Okay, next question. Do you think there will be a return of conscription or the draft? You know, they just, that's caught, that's come up again. Uh, and I use conscription in a lot of my speeches to say that uh, this is a this is an example of who owns your body. You know, government owns your body. They own your income, too, because they allow you to keep a certain percentage of it. And if if we roll over for every every ma uh, mandate, uh, that's another sign that they own that, uh, that own our body. Do I think it's coming? I think it's possible. I don't think it's on the horizon. But it bothered me a little bit. Uh, you know, isn't it the craziest thing? They want to make sure that women are treated equal. So <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to draft up women and give them guns to go over to who knows where and start shooting people and getting shot at because of the name of liberty. If you want to talk about a bizarre understanding of what liberty is all about, but the answer isn't you know, don't draft the women, get rid of the draft, get rid of the conscription. It is uh, totally unnecessary. There's no proof that they're better fighters. Besides, right now, uh, that type of war, I think, has passed us. We're not going to have a war like World War II. Uh, sometimes I, I'm concerned about biological wars and a few things like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think conscription is, uh, <laughs> that, that should be an easy win for everybody. 
They don't own you. They can't conscript you. They can't send you into some jungle someplace and start shooting people. Become a sharpshooter and see how many people you, you can shoot for, for, the, for the name of, uh, uh, of uh, patriotism. One thing that bothers me about this, this whole thing is we don't declare war. We send the troops over and then we say, and we hear incessantly, Oh, we're over here protecting the Constitution. We're protecting American freedom. Well, how's going over and, and invading Iraq and Afghanistan? How, how, did, how did that help our Constitution at the same time they have the Patriot Act? You know, and people buy into this. And, and it's sad that they make, uh, make, make uh, you know, how, how you have to be so sympathetic to the victims of this, but uh, it's, it's, it's so sad because so many people have, have died from this and have suffered. It just breaks my heart to think because it's not necessary. It does not, it has nothing to do with going to war for the constitution when we didn't even declare the war like the constitution says. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, your point about conscription made me think that if there's a certain segment that are slaves in society that we need equality by enslaving everybody. <laughs> maybe they're maybe that's working on. They're working on that. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. Now we only have a couple of minutes, and this guy's asked an interesting question. I don't know if you can do it in a short period of time, but do your best. Um, do you, what do you think about the bill recently signed a law by Ron DeSantis that will require high schools to cover the evils of communism and totalitarian ideologies in classes teaching about forms of government? Oh, this is not easy because you would say, well, we shouldn't dictate, you know, what, what, what he's teaching or that's a great idea. We should subsidize it. That's the argument for um, no government schools <laughs> come yeah. to my homeschooling program and you won't have to worry about it. If you don't like it, you just leave. And uh, so government schools and, it, and I've thought about that a whole lot. How do you deal with personal civil liberties in a government run school? And I thought about it in terms much uh, less controversial. Okay, what about a kid that has his hair too long and the decorum, you know, and it's a government school and common sense would say, well, you shouldn't come here looking like a bum. You ought to have at least have your shoes on, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and uh, I thought, well, hey, we don't have a right to tell them what they have to wear. So the solution is private school. But that's not there. Now, the only thing I do is I come a little bit over and say, well, the owner isn't there. We have no owner. We've created this thing where everybody's the owner, you know, and uh, when people get enough upset, they can go to a school board meeting and get things changed. But no, they, uh, they do this and uh, uh, they, uh, they, they, th they think that, it, that, that, that that's the best thing to do. But um, I, I think that, uh, you, you know, that uh, the, the, the kids, you can't regulate that stuff. You shouldn't have to. But I would say the closest thing you can come to an owner of a local government school is not have the UN involved or any international body or US government or the state government. And you have, a, I was in a community school when I was in for 12 years and you had school boards and they did have a reflection. I would say that's the closest thing you can come for a possible substitute for the owner because <clears throat> If it's smaller like that and they make a mistake and say that uh, you have to wear something stupid or, you know, make it so ornery, they ought to be able to 
change that group. Uh, you know, it's, it's available now because we've seen people, you know, resign from the school board, which uh, pleases me when they do that. So uh, you, you'd have to have a substitute or you'd have to say, you, you got to go elsewhere, private school. In private school, they can tell you whatever you want, whatever they want on wearing it because the volunteerism is the student and the school. They've come together in a volunteer. That's why volunteerism is such a great uh, answer to many, many of our problems. On that note, excellent note. We'll wrap things up, Ron. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share these fantastic perspectives with us on liberty and for getting everybody excited about liberty. Every time I hear you, <laughs> I get excited about liberty again. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for your great support of FFF. We couldn't do these kind of programs without your support. If you haven't yet donated to the Future of Freedom Foundation, this would be a great time to start. So thank you very much. Next week, the final uh, lecture in this program. And that'll be by me. Look forward to seeing y'all then. Thank you again, Ron, and good evening to all y'all. Great. Thanks. Thanks.